Yeah, hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you can take your seats, I think we're going to get on with the program. Uh, my name's Lee Klaskow. Uh, I work for uh, Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm their senior freight transportation logistics analyst. Uh, this is a disclaimer I need to show anytime I'm about to talk, even at home. Uh, so I cover the marine shipping sector for Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, I also uh, cover uh, North America transports, which includes rail, trucking, 3PLs, uh, brokers, and couriers. Uh, I provide, you know, I've been at Bloomberg for about um, nine years now. Prior to that, I was on the south side for 12 years. Uh, most recently, I was a senior analyst covering transports at uh, Prudential and Longbow. Uh, Longbow. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, Bloomberg Intelligence is uh, uh, Bloomberg's research arm. Uh, we have over uh, 1,900 companies under coverage. Uh, we have 280 analysts worldwide. Uh, we cover uh, close to uh, 200 uh, sectors globally, and uh, that's in Asia, uh, Europe, and the Americas. In addition to research, you know, BI curates a, a lot of uh, third-party data on the terminal, and it provides comprehensive industry and company f uh, fundamentals at, at users' fingertips. So that, that was the quick, uh, the quick commercial uh, for Bloomberg and Bloomberg Intelligence. You know, I want to thank Nicholas and his team for uh, having me here uh, to talk about uh, trade, especially as it relates to Asia. Um, I'm going to let uh, our two panelists, uh, Charles and Martin, introduce themselves um, uh, for you all. So, uh, Charles. Thank you very much. Good morning. Um, I'm Charles Maltby. I'm the CEO of Epic Gas. Uh, we are the world's largest owner and operator of pressurized LPG carriers. Uh, we have 44 ships on the water trading globally. Uh, we're an integrated part of the supply chain for LPG. The fleet trades on a global basis, 50% in the west, 50% in the east. Uh, we're headquartered in Singapore, and we regard Singapore as uh, the heartbeat of our operations, and look forward to <coughs> excuse me, discussing the uh, Asia market today. Thank you. Martin Wade, CEO of Grindrod Shipping Holdings, uh, listed here on the NASDAQ under the ticker GRIN. Uh, Singapore, domiciled-based, all management uh, in Singapore, uh, operate under two brands, Island View Shipping, which has 23 handies uh, owned, uh, long-term charter, commercially managed, and 17 Ultra, Supermax Ultramaxes, and uh, eight tankers. And uh, yeah, very much Singapore owner, only owner listed over here from there. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot of it, the future is Asia, as we will hopefully now get onto. All right, fantastic. Um, so we have a slide up here. There we go. Um, and this is a screenshot of a Bloomberg terminal. Um, so it really, it seems to be like more bad news than good news out there, at least from our perspective, uh, especially for the global economy. As President Trump's trade war and uh, increased protectionism around the globe starts to be really on, weighing on, on growth. There now appears to be um, that bad news being baked into estimates. You can see here global GDP expected to increase 3.1%. Uh, in 2019 and 2020. Uh, I had to look back there because it's constantly changing um, by, by the day, uh, given what's going on with, with the headlines, which includes Brexit, you know, potential recession in Germany, uh, slowing growth in China, and the U.S. will just weigh on consensus expectations in our view. Moreover, recent down revisions to uh, the U.S. GDP and, uh, for 2Q does not bode well for the second half in our, in our view. So uh, if the slide of protectionism continues, it becomes a no-win situation for global trade. 
Uh, the impact is being felt against more countries and products. A prolonged trade war would negatively impact GDP. Uh, I'm not an economist, but our economists believe that it could impact up to 100 basis points if things uh, uh, don't, uh, don't change. And uh, Brexit and the U.S.-China standoff is creating increased uncertainty among supply chain professionals and the businesses they support. China's September trade data showed greater contraction as the U.S. imposed further tariffs on Chinese exports for the month. Both exports and imports undershot expectations. And the phase one deal between the U.S. and China raises hopes for uh, de-escalation of the trade war, but doesn't materially change things uh, as it relates to China's growth in our, in our uh, view. Exports fell 3.2% in September, bigger than the 1% drop in August, and was uh, well uh, above the expectations for, well not well above, 40 basis points above the expectations of 2.8% contraction during the month. Imports showed uh, much more of a sharper contraction, falling 8.5% year over year in the month, extending its 5.6% uh, decline the pr uh, prior month in August. And the consensus forecast was 6%, so that was almost 250 basis points below expectations. The sharper decline uh, in imports reflects sluggish domestic demand, lower commodity prices, along with the weaker exports related to demand. And exports to the U.S. continue to slump. Uh, in the meantime, exports to China was largely unchanged from the year earlier, and shipments to uh, intra-Asia expanded. Looking forward, the phase one uh, trade deal does not yet boost China's trade outlook in a meaningful way, uh, in our view. The key element for China is that the tariffs hike won't take place, that were supposed to happen uh, this week. Uh, but you know, the, uh, all the tariffs on the 360 billion worth of Chinese goods, the 15 to 25 percent tariffs are still uh, in place, at least as of now. And we don't really know what the uh, first phase really does, does mean. And we can't forget that there's more tariffs scheduled on December 15th. So set your calendars. Um, finally. This is uh, GDP expectations for the uh, Asia-Pac region. Um, as you can see, uh, growth really is uh, being driven by the emerging markets um, uh, for, for the area. And not only you know, is, is the trade war obviously a negative thing for global trade, but there appears to be some winners. Uh, those winners are, are listed here, Vietnam, uh, Taiwan, Malaysia, at least in the Asia uh, area. Also, you know, further afield, there's Mexico, which is benefiting from an acceleration in, uh, in nearshoring. And that's kind of the backdrop that we wanted to, to discuss uh, as it relates to uh, Asia trade. And, you know, I wanted to ask uh, either Charles or Martin, you know, where are you seeing growth in your business uh, within Asia? It's interesting, those figures, Lee. When, when you just look at China's just released its imports for iron ore for the third quarter and coal, and both were record quarters. So from an Asian perspective, there isn't an awful lot that this trade war is actually happening. Obviously, overall, it's affecting, but from our perspective, on, on the bulk side, uh, imports and, uh, and trade is actually doing very well at the moment. And in particular, Southeast Asia, if you look at the coal business, Vietnam, it's going to have a record year, Thailand. So all in all, a lot of trade is still going on. So the trade war isn't good overall, but at the, uh, on the bulk level, I think we've basically shrugged a lot of it off. It's more sentiment than anything else. But uh, from, a, from a pure physical point of view, business goes on. And you're right about Vietnam. I think China just casually exports everything to Vietnam, who rebrands and sends it to America. Right, yeah. And conversely, America sends its soybeans down to Brazil and Argentina, who crush it and send it to China. Trade goes on. Yeah. 
Okay, and, and Charles? Yeah, from an LPG point of view, uh, we're an integrated part of that supply chain. Global LPG trade last year again increased. This year it's increasing, so it's about 100 million tons a year. It's increasing at 4 to 5% a year. Uh, if we look at the global producers, North America and Canada are obviously very important, but also we've got large uh, production in, uh, in the Middle East and in Russia, and uh, they're all expanding production. The only areas we saw reduced exports uh, last year were Iran and Algeria in the Middle East. So uh, the strength in supply of the commodity is good. The demand for the product is growing as well. It's, it's a cleaner energy than the, some of the traditional fuels it's compared to, such as diesel, coal. So uh, the underlying demand growth is there, and that's not really easing off in Asia. Uh, if we look at the uh, sort of the, the, the involvement of China in LPG trade, China is the uh, the world's largest uh, importer of LPG. Uh, it used to uh, import some of that volume from North America. It's now switched to the Middle East uh, and taken over contracts that were previously supplying Japan and uh, South Korea. So the, there's been a sort of a switch in the trade. Uh, it's created some marginal incremental ton miles, but the underlying growth in the trade itself, that's the 100 million tons a year, 4 to 5% a year, is ongoing. All right. You know, Martin, you were pointing out uh, you did the, uh, the, the global trade impact to the tariffs hasn't been that bad in your business. Has, is there anything that you're concerned about, that, you know, see any cracks that if, if something doesn't happen soon in terms of an agreement between the U.S. and China, things might go um, belly up, if you will. Und undoubtedly, the, the, the problem with, with, with the trade war is it, it's China's hurting, there's no doubting, which means that all of Southeast Asia hurts because they all trade with China. So uh, Japan's uh, steel uh, exports are the lowest since 2009. Other countries rely on, on, on the interregional trade. So the longer this goes on, I think the previous panel also mentioned that 2020 Chinese 70 years of the Communist Party. They'll do everything they can, but it's hurting and it has the knock-on effect for all the other countries that then slow down as well, sadly. So yes, if it rattles on for years and years, this isn't going to be very good. Okay. And also sentiment-wise, I think, you know, shipping is always sentiment changes, fundamentals follow, and uh, I think we do need this, uh, this to be resolved at some point. So outside of the, uh, you know, you mentioned the soybean trade, are you seeing any changes in trade in terms of, you know, to get around the tariffs or to kind of mitigate the impact of the tariffs? Trade goes on and people get creative and new, new markets. Um, but bearing in mind, apart from soybeans, I mean, China doesn't buy coal or, or, or iron ore from, from America. So it, it really was the soybean that affects us. And it, it's had a huge impact because it's Camsomax and, and uh, Ultramax. And uh, you're taking 10, 15 million tons less coming out of America. It's a lot of ship miles that, that, uh, that, that's dropping off. So it has had an effect, but by the same score, this whole South Asian economy, I mentioned Vietnam. In 2015, Vietnam was an exporter of coal. Uh, last year, it imported 23 million tons. It's already done 30 million tons in, in the first eight months of this year. Uh, Indonesia has just had, had a record quarter for coal exports. So business is going on with that, that South Asian uh, countries and growing very rapidly. And we need China as well. If China was... was you know, without the trade war, that would be the, the pickup we needed, yeah. But okay. the other countries are developing nicely. All right, and this question goes for both of you. You know, do you, which, which country outside of China do you see sustainable growth uh, within the region? You know, Charles, if you want to kick it off. Uh, I think uh, almost every country outside of China, we see sustainable growth for LPG uh, in the region. It's a very interesting region, and the product we're carrying as LPG is obviously regarded as a clean fuel. So that's helping its own case in the investments going in for the, the end user. 
and that's whether that's bottled gas, uh, which we typically carry on our ships, or petrochemical plants, or autogas, and so on. Um, but some of the stronger countries, if we look at uh, uh, Southeast Asia, for instance, you've got uh, Indonesia, which, uh, if you can, or, or even India as well, uh, Indonesia and India together import more LPG than the whole of Europe. So it's a big market. Uh, Vietnam is another growth market, as Martin touched on a few minutes ago. And the type of year-on-year -year growth we're seeing is four, five, six, seven, eight percent. Uh, last year, Bangladesh was the standout uh, incremental uh, demand uh, country where we saw imports grow from about 500,000 tons a year to 850,000 tons a year. And that's uh, gone up from 50,000 tons only five years ago. And we're seeing this repeated in countries all around the, uh, the Asian uh, marketplace. Uh, can you guys each, uh, you know, I'll throw this out to, to either of you, uh, talk about, uh, you know, the opportunities that you're seeing from the Belt and Road Initiative in terms of how that's impacting your business, either good or bad? It's, it's very positive. Um, I think a lot of countries have worked out that this comes with a few catches. And uh, of now, from, from the original uh, full-on Chinese investment in countries, they're a bit more uh, a kind of standoffish at the moment. But on the whole, it's very positive what's being created. You just take somewhere like Pakistan, the amount of money, 50-odd billion dollars has gone in, uh, new power plants, coal again, and, and suddenly out of South Africa, the, the coal imports have gone through the roof. So it's having a very, very positive impact all over Southeast Asia, uh, where it's taking place. And I think it's a bit more controlled and maybe more sustainable now. So it, it's very clever by the Chinese. But the, the initial rush that, where the country has welcomed it, I think they've taken a step back and it's more being more thought out now. So will underpin uh, demand for, for, for years to come. I think, uh, yeah, I agree with Martin. The, it's, uh, it's very much a focused foreign direct investment, isn't it, by the Chinese government? To, uh, to benefit its own supply chains and its own export chains, and it's working. And if we just take, uh, Martin touched on Pakistan, I could talk about, uh, say, um, Sri Lanka, where you've got Hambantota port, which is 70% owned by China Merchant Co. And the investment there, in the initial investment obviously came from China, and uh, it's created a hub of investment that's now coming in from other countries, into, uh, international companies and also from domestic companies. And uh, it's creating a trade hub and investing in the community. It's the same on the uh, East Coast uh, rail link in Malaysia. Uh, we're also seeing similar investments into Indonesia. So it's supporting the overall growth in the area. And yes, there are some tensions around that. You can, uh, you can obviously uh, appreciate that, that there'd be tensions over how the ports maybe or the investment spaces are used in the long term. Are they just for domestic trade or are they for military reasons or whatever? But at this point in time, everybody's being very careful, I think, to manage that and to, to make sure it's uh, regarded as investment for, for commercial reasons, industrial commercial reasons. Okay. And um, you know, when, it, when, it comes, when it comes to growth, generally speaking, you know, are you guys expecting over the next, uh, call it five years, I know that's, that's a long uh, horizon for many people, but are you expecting more intra-Asia growth or are you expecting the growth you know, between the traditional trade lanes that we've been seeing? historically, you know, North America, Asia, Europe, Asia? It's interesting when you send that question. I, I've been in Singapore 10 years now, and, and 10 years ago, you'd get into the office in the morning, and it would be quiet, and everyone wait for Europe to, to wake up. In the last four or five years, the phone starts ringing at nine. A lot of business is done by the time, especially on the smaller sizes, by the time Europe wakes up. There's more and more business there growing, and, and it's developing very, very rapidly. And uh, it's not going to stop now. So. 
this whole market has now been created and, and will go more and more. And so it's interesting, literally the last four or five years, authority in, in Asia, business done in Asia, and by the time uh, Europe wakes up, if you've got a ship in the Pacific, the business for that ship could well have been fixed. The Belt and Road Initiative is definitely around supporting intra-Asia growth as much as uh, inter-regional uh, growth. And also the investment uh, that we're seeing uh, going on in, uh, say, East Africa, where you're seeing new terminals going, uh, going in for the import of LPG and also the export of LPG is helping to drive the growth in the region there. I think the sanctions element is also, uh, the, the way they're in place, obviously it's with China and then you've, uh, sorry, the tariffs with China and then the sanctions with Iran. That's also helping to drive intra-Asia growth. Uh, it's deterring the, uh, the trade growth from North America and other parts of the world and encouraging China to trade with countries within the region rather than countries outside of the region. And, and if the sanctions and the tariffs stay in place for a long time, that, w that will grow that dependency on, on intra-Asia trade rather than the, the longer haul. Okay. Um, you know, while the, this, this section is business and trading opportunities in Asia, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about IMO 2020. Uh, so, but given a focus on the region, do you have any concerns about uh, fuel availability, uh, at least the low sulfur fuel uh, within, within Asia? No. Obviously, we, we have product tankers as well. And all the new refineries over the last uh, 10 years have been put up in India, Middle East, uh, China. So conversely, I think you, you could well battle to, to actually get HFO out there, as we've seen recently in, in Singapore, where someone talked about it, that the actual spread three weeks ago was, was, uh, was $50 between HFO and gas oil. And so th there's more than enough product out there. And uh, we're, we're, we're perceiving that Asia will have the clean product and probably have to export it uh, elsewhere. But no, we, uh, we don't think there's it. In fact, as I said, I, I think more to the point when you've got 350 bunker ports in the world commercially active, most with one tank, one barge, 95% of the fleet wants clean fuels. They're all going to be producing, they're all going to have clean product. And I suspect that it could be more difficult to get hold of, of the dirty stuff. And again, I'm, I'm still puzzled why when 95% of us want clean fuel, we should be paying vastly more than the guys who want the dirty stuff. It, doesn't sound like Glencore, Traffy, and Vital to me will be selling to them quite as cheaply, but that's another conversation. Right. Uh, our, our ships are trading uh, shorter haul, short sea. Uh, they're at sea on, on average five days at a time. We're doing 2,700 port calls a year. So we have, firstly, a very low fuel consumption relative to some of the bigger ships, so that reduces our exposure. Secondly, we're also in and out of ports all the time, which means we're already in 0.1% sulfur regions quite frequently, rather than the 0.5, which is what IMO 2020 is all about. So we're already burning low, low sulfur fuel uh, or gas oil on a lot of our ships. So from our point of view, it's very much an operational issue. Uh, one of our biggest shareholders is BW Group, and we've partnered with Hafnia uh, to do our bunkering for the start of next year to make sure we have access to as wide as... Uh, sort of buying power as possible, but to us it's an operational thing, not a capex thing. Now, are you guys agnostic in terms of where you're going? You know, would you prefer uh, the growth to be intra-Asia or intra-regional? Like, do you have any preference, or as long as your ships are moving in Seoul? Uh, we'll go anywhere, anywhere that's legal. Yeah. <laughs> and for us, I, I think longer the better. So we, we do like the, the long-haul market, as we've seen in the Capes with Brazil, uh, when they ramped up, recovered, uh, you stretched the fleet with, with the soya bean coming out of the States and, and Brazil. 
you need long-haul trades to actually stretch the fleet. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in, inter-Asia is very important. I mean, 23% of the world's fleet trades and Chinese flag on the Chinese coast. It's huge business. But for the rest of us, long-haul trades really do help, help us. We also have to have a customer mandate, don't we? It's what, what does our customer expect us to be doing and where do they expect us to be trading from an epic point of view? Our customers are primarily oil majors. And so we also have to look at where are they making their investment, where is their growth going on, and uh, follow them and make sure we have ships in the right place at the right time. Uh, we're also seeing an upsizing in, in the demand for the ship sizes. The difference, so five years ago, it would be a ship that's about half the size that we have now. So we've gradually been following that uh, and chasing that, if you like, to make sure we have the ships in the right size to support the growth in the trades where our customers are moving into. Okay. Um, just specific for Charles on, on the LPG side, you talk about what's changed over the last 10 years in terms of the LPG trade with uh, with Asia just outpacing the, the global economy. Um, just tell tell talk about you know the, the difference in trade lanes, what you're saying, yeah. and where you expect those to go. Oh, sorry. I was just uh, asking uh, Charles about trade lanes uh, for LPG uh, past, uh, present, and future. Thank you. Um, it's a big question. Uh, for, first, if, I mean, uh, the biggest change to the LPG supply story has been uh, North America coming online as an exporting uh, source for the product. And it's not just the U.S. Gulf, it's uh, U.S. East Coast, U.S. West Coast. And the production in North America has also forced Canada into exporting its volume. So if we look at, for instance, last year, the two largest countries, growth countries in the world for LPG production were uh, the USA and Canada, respectively. Um, and that, but that supply of LPG has created a better supply of the commodity uh, into the international markets. And that commodity, of course, is finding its way into Asia. And at the same time, we're seeing growth in the Middle East in supply of LPG, uh, particularly in Saudi and Kuwait. Uh, the growth overall in the Middle East last year was positive. It was offset by a small reduction in Iran. Um, so we're seeing growth in supply there. The demand side, uh, we're seeing growth in every country you can imagine for LPG. Uh, there isn't really a country that isn't growing. And it's because it's a cleaner energy and the investment is going in. And whether that's a Bangladesh, a smaller country, uh, from a, an investment point of view to uh, China or Japan, where the investment is bigger, uh, the growth is, is there. Uh, in the future, we see uh, North American supply as remaining important for LPG. And uh, it started, for instance, last year for the first time to find its way into Southeast Asia. So not just going into Japan, China, Korea, but also into Southeast Asia and into new markets there. And from an epic point of view, we're involved in the last mile. So we're often doing ship-to-ship -ship operations from those bigger ships that come from North America and making sure that uh, we can get the product into the smaller ports in the developing economies. Okay, uh, this is uh, for, for either Martin or Charles or both. Um, could you just talk about, you know, obviously Asia is growing, we've established that, that's, that's probably gonna continue to grow, outpace the global economy. How are you guys positioning your companies in terms of investing in Asia to take, take advantage of that growth? From an EPIC point of view, we're, we're based in, in Singapore. That's the heartbeat of our organization. Our crew are from uh, the Philippines. Um, and then uh, our ships are flagged in Singapore. Uh, and then we're investing in, uh, our ships are all built in Japan as well. Uh, so we work very closely with the Japanese shipyards. Um, and uh, we're also financed 
predominantly uh, using either Japanese or Asia-based offices of European financing banks. So we're very much an integrated part of uh, Asia. It's, it's where we wake up and it's where we go to bed. We're very similar in Singapore, domicile, 30 ships un under the flag, build the, the bulkers in, in only in Japan, the tankers only in Korea. And uh, yeah, I mean, 60 odd people in, in, in the office there, we're, we're very much Asian and, uh, and, and go from there and the full support of, of the government, funding more and more Japanese banks and, and, and also more and more Asian banks starting to appear. So it is going to be, as the, the problems with European banks increase or they stop financing, it'll shift more, more and more to Asia. And again, I think it's a huge uh, positive actually being based there, having a track record and meeting these guys on a regular basis, you get the trust and, and then you can do business with them. Okay, great. So we have about two minutes left. Um, I'll open it up to the floor if anyone has a question for the panels. Uh, gentlemen over there. Good morning. Uh, can you please comment a little bit on the different advantages uh, of the uh, LPG specifications from different regions? Uh, when we take that into account of uh, consumers' purchasing perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, LPG, there's about 320 million tons a year produced on a global basis, and 60% of that comes out of the ground alongside oil and natural gas as part of the natural production process for oil and natural gas. And then the other 40% comes from when you refine a barrel of oil, it's a byproduct. Uh, and yes, in, in different parts of the world, you either have uh, propane-heavy or butane-heavy LPG. And uh, there's different demands for that LPG as well, in that propane has a lower freezing point, lower boiling point, sorry, than uh, butane. So it has a, uh, different properties, and it can be used in different parts of the world. You want a higher blend of one versus the other in colder markets and so on. But the world is naturally longer in propane than in butane by quite a considerable margin. Okay, great. Uh, any other questions? Uh, nope. Okay, uh, I guess with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. I want to thank uh, Martin and Charles for their time. It was a great discussion. And uh, Nicholas, uh, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.